0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us today. All of you who are in person on any of our campuses and all of you who are online, we're so grateful that you're part of this service. Have you ever seen such a confusing and difficult time like we're going through right now? It's not just a hard time that our country and our world is going through. It's not just a hard time, it's a confusing time. It's confusing because there's, there's voices everywhere now, on the Internet, everywhere. And we don't know which voices are truth and which are propaganda. And how do you differentiate between the two? It's a confusing time and it's a hard time. We have just walked out of, not entirely, but pretty much walked out of a two-year pandemic. I know other strains are coming, I know that, but what I am also hearing is, look, this is probably now evolving into what the flu has been for the last 100 years. For the next 100 years, it's, it's gonna be COVID, and and there's gonna be new strains, and, and, and you're gonna have to walk through these. It's just like the flu. This is the kind of thing, at least, I'm hearing, but we are getting back to normal. Not entirely, we're not there yet. I flew on a plane this this week and it it was masked all the way. And so it's not all the way back, but it's getting there. We're making progress. And as we're walking out of a two-year pandemic that has killed a million Americans, and I don't know how many millions around the world, we are walking into an inflation that we have not seen in 40 years. And it seems as though it is not dissipating. And as we're going through this time and things are getting tighter and harder, we are also experiencing a war that scares the fool out of us. This whole Russia-Ukrainian war because one false move, one wrong thing, And it could evolve into nuclear, it could evolve into the Third World War, and we don't want that, and we are on pins and needles. This is where we are today. This is why it's so hard, and it's so confusing. But there is an undercurrent that has been there for decades to move Americans... American Christians away from the Word of God as their source of truth, to move American Christians away from God's Word, at least in part, and onto a new culture that is emerging. That is totally opposite of what God's Word teaches about moral issues. And we're seeing ourselves in the middle of all of this transition. Not just in America, but in Canada. It's getting bad in Canada. And not just there, in Finland, in Sweden. I don't know which one of the two countries this woman is, but she's in the government in one of these countries, and she is in the government. She is a Christ follower. She loves the Lord. And somebody dredged up, maybe she's a senator or a representative in their system, I don't know. But somebody dredged up a statement she had made in which she said that God's word teaches that the homosexual lifestyle is ungodly and she stands with God's word. Someone dredged this up and now she's on trial for hate language. I'm going to tell you this hate language thing, this can be taken wherever the wind blows. If she's convicted, she'll spend two years, up to two years in prison for saying, I believe in God's word about the subject of homosexuality. And what she has been told is you either deny scripture or you stand the possibility of two years in prison. That is amazing. And here, these countries have all been known as Christian countries and look at where we are and it's coming. And this is the hardest time I've ever heard of, ever know, especially in our country, about the issue of moral issues. You take a stand on biblical moral issues, you will be canceled. You will be opposed. And depending upon what your career is and where it is, you could be fired. Because you took a stand on moral issues. Biblical moral principle. It is an amazing time in which we live. It could have never been predicted that we would be where we are today. There there is a time, though, that was similar, not in the same subjects, but was similar in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, in which the same kinds of things were happening to him. And so I want us to pull away now and go into the book of Daniel. Daniel has 12 chapters. We're only going to look at the first six. Six or seven weeks going through the first six chapters of Daniel. So, what about the last half? The last half of Daniel is all about prophecy about the first and the second coming of Christ. And it's important, it's powerful. But, but I taught on that subject a year ago. So I'm going to wait a little bit for the last half of Daniel. We'll, sh- we'll catch up with that last half d- down in the future. But I want us to look right now at the first six chapters of Daniel. Because the, the whole theme of those first six chapters is this. Standing strong. Standing strong. And this morning I want to talk to you about an overcoming commitment. Now, the whole setting of the book of Daniel is found in modern day times in the same territory that we would call Iraq and Iran. But in that day, in Daniel's life, it was called the Babylonian kingdom. And it had emerged to be the greatest kingdom in in known civilizations at that time. It was powerful. It had reached out thousands of miles and subjugated all of these other nations and countries to it. And one of those countries was Judah. It had subjugated the Jewish people to it. But the Jewish people three times rebelled and said, no, we'll not pay you tribute. No, we'll not be linked to you. And three times King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian kingdom sent invasion forces, and they came and punished the Jewish people for their rebellion against King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, on the third time they came in, they totally wiped it out. They destroyed Jerusalem from top to bottom, All knocked down all the walls, destroyed the temple of God, they destroyed every building in Jerusalem, left it rubble, they left all the cities rubble, and they took several hundreds of thousands of Jews to be political prisoners in Babylon. That was the third invasion. But the first invasion, they came and punished the Jews for their rebellion. And then they kidnapped a group of young men who were the sons of the people in leadership in Judah. They kidnapped those young men and took those back to Babylon. And they did it because they felt, okay, these are the sons of the leaders. We will reprogram them. We will brainwash them, we will convert them from the God of Israel, the the whole understanding of life as a Jew, and they will become Babylonian and then we will put them in power in Judah and they'll run things the way we want. This was in their thinking. And one of those people that were stolen was Daniel. That takes us to Daniel chapter one, verse three, and notice what it says. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature now stop for a moment that word literature in the hebrew actually means culture they're not giving them books to read they're teaching them about the babylonian religion they're teaching them about the greatness of babylon they are reprogramming them we'll teach them the language we'll teach them the culture we'll remake these young men, and Daniel was one of them. Now listen, Daniel, at the time this happened, we don't know his age, but he was probably 13, 12, 13, 14. We don't know how old he was, but we know he was an early teenager more than likely. And all of these young men that they stole, early teenagers, later uh, children, older children, and they brought them in, and Daniel was one of them. And the three-year brainwashing Took place. When we got to the end of it, Daniel did not succumb to the reprogramming. Daniel still stood strong for God's Word. There are Bible experts and theologians who have studied this book, and they've asked the question, how does a young man, so young as Daniel, go through three years of this reprogramming and not be reprogrammed? Have not converted over. How is that possible? And the only explanation I've heard from anybody, it's got to be his parents. It has to be his upbringing. It has to be his parents. Listen to me. Parents, you are the most powerful spiritual force in your children's lives. They need to hear you talk about God. They need to see you reading his word. They need to catch you in prayer alone before God. They, they need to see you living it out. Living the life. That's what makes a difference in their heart not all the talking not not all of the explanation they need to see a life change in you and when they see your life change that's what changes them it is obvious this is what happened to Daniel his parents this church has the greatest children's ministry, Creek Kids, and the greatest student ministry I've ever seen. I am so deeply grateful for the staff that are here, the amazing staff and how they're leading and how we're teaching. I am so excited. I've never seen a children's ministry and student ministry as deep and broad as we have had in this church for many years. I am so deeply grateful. But I'm telling you, The purpose of our children's ministry and our student ministry is not to do your job as parents. We're to be there to augment. We're to help you along. We're to be a resource for you. But it is the parents who have the greater impact on your children's lives for God. It's you. It's you. And I want to talk to you about that very issue today. Parents and grandparents. Have you noticed that this world is desperately trying to squeeze us into its mold? It's it's not a new thing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Stop for a moment. How much mercy has he given you? How much blessing has he given you in your life? How much provisions has he given you in your life? How much protection has he given to you? How much has God poured out in your life? The mercies of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, look at all he's done, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It makes total sense to do it. God's not asking too much from you. God is saying to you and I, look at all I have done for you. Now I'm asking that you commit yourself to me. But notice what he says in verse two. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? How do we get transformed by the renewing of our mind? It's the Word of God that does it. As we are reading God's Word, we're hearing what God said, God's worldview, God's understanding of morality, what God says. We then change our opinions to line up with the opinions of God. He transforms our life and he changes our behavior, our pattern of living. And he says, don't be be squeezed into the world's mold. Be transformed by God's word that you might discover what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In the Phillips translation, he puts it this way, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. But let God remold your minds from within. It is not a new thing, it's been happening for decades that the world, everything around us is attempting to weaken our commitment to God. And that was what was happening to Daniel. Here he is, a young man, 12, 13, 14. We don't know how old he was, but a young man, three years of intense training for the purpose of reprogramming. So what happens? Verse 3 says that Nebuchadnezzar put Ashpenaz in charge. We don't know much about Ashpenaz. We do know that he was a high official in, in the Babylonian empire. That means he's gotta have some, something on the ball. He's gotta have some leadership ability. There's only one other thing we know about Ashpenaz. The name Ashpenaz in the Babylonian language means horse's nose. I know I'm telling you the truth. That's what the word means. Horses' nose. How did this happen? Little baby's born. He's so sweet. We're looking at him. Oh, isn't he so cute? We just love him to death. What do you think we ought to name him? Oh, I know. Horses' nose. How did this happen? I don't know. But Ashpenaz's job was to brainwash these Jewish kids into becoming Babylonian converts to shift their loyalties from the God of the Bible to the Babylonian culture. How does that happen? How does one culture that is in another culture become the winning culture? How does that happen? Well, what you got to do if you are the new culture is that you got to start re-educating the children when they're small, into the principles and values of the new culture. And over generations, you change the culture, you kill the former culture, you create the new culture. That's strategically what you do. And that is what is going on with these young men. And I think that's what's going on with us in this culture. Did you know that there are now cartoons being created? One where Superman is uh, now gay, where um, the heroes in the in the cartoons are uh, transgender or, or um, a gay family. Disney has come out and made a statement that it's going to get on board. And it's going to begin weaving in new movies for children, uh, families with two dads, families with two moms, uh, transgender children, Why? To change the culture and to start with little kids, little minds, and to reprogram them. And in some places, it is happening in both private and public education. It it makes sense if you think about it. People are saying now that in America that the Christianity, that we're in a post-Christian culture. I don't think that's entirely true. I think it is moving in that direction. You can't help but believe that because you see the numbers, but we are moving in that direction of a post-Christian culture in the country. So you got to think, well, not everybody is Christ followers that are writing textbooks or dealing with morality that would be taught in school. Not everybody is, and in teaching materials, not everyone's going to be Christ followers. So when you deal with these kinds of issues, you pull from the culture that you are a part of what you believe, and you just put that into the training. So now I wanna talk about a sensitive topic and I'm asking you to actually listen to what I'm saying, not imagine what I'm saying. In fact, I'm gonna read a lot of it because I wanna make sure I say it exactly the way I wanna say it. I'm reading news stories now of things that are being taught that stun me. In one sex education class, the lesson stated, science now verifies that an unborn fetus is not a human being until it's born. What? Science has not done that. In fact, the truth is science has tried to stay out of the whole argument, and that certainly hasn't verified the whole human being thing that happens at birth. No, you look at science, and science always identifies species by DNA. It's always by the DNA that you can identify any species at any time along the path. And that DNA is always completely formed at the moment of conception. We have all the DNA of a human being at conception. And at every space along the way, think about it logically. You mean that that child the day before it's born is not a human being? And suddenly, magically, it becomes one? But how did it find itself into this sex education class? It's called brainwashing. The truth is there are other examples I could give you that just blow my mind, but I cannot say them in an environment that has children. But I'm stunned by it. It's not happening everywhere that I know, but I'm reading examples of it. And now I want you to hear me. I don't believe it's here. I don't believe it is in our schools, in this area. I don't believe it's a part of our education here. And I'm gonna tell you why I have formed that opinion, because we have so many godly administrators in our school districts in this region. We've got superintendents that know and love God. We have administrators who know and love God and principals who do. And we have school teachers galore who love Jesus, who've committed their heart by faith to Christ. And they would not stand for it. So I don't think it's here. And what I want to say to you, I thank God. I thank God for our administrators, our superintendents, our school teachers, our principals. I thank God in this region for these people. And the last thing they need to hear from us is grief. What they need to hear from us is support and thank you and blessing them and praying for them. So while I'm on the topic, I'm gonna chase a rabbit right here. So you ready? I cannot imagine how school teachers and administrators and school boards have survived the last two years. The hardest challenges you could ever face dealing with children in the midst of a pandemic. I don't know how they've made it. I think they've made such great decisions. I am so proud of how they have handled these moments. And I'm so appreciative. And, but so many school teachers have resigned and left the business. And some of them have left simply because they couldn't take the grief anymore. The complaining, the griping, the criticism, and the stress. And they just left. And we lost with that and here's what I'm saying to you I wish I hope that when you come across a school teacher an administrator school superintendents whoever they are that are involved if you would say thank you to them and bless them and express appreciation we've been through a horrible two years and so many of them have caught so much grief that they did not earn and I hope that you will encourage them There are difficult problems happening in education. And you gotta be blind not to see it. I think it's possible to be loving and kind to someone who is living a lifestyle that the Bible says is wrong, going in a direction that the Bible says is not right, I think it's possible for us to be loving and kind and caring. And at the same time, not violate biblical morals. Not violate God's word. I think you can do both. And I am urging parents to begin teaching their children how to do that. Parents who stop paying attention to their children's education are making a terrible mistake. So what should we do? I want to suggest some things. First, be supportive of your children's fantastic teachers and administrators. Help them, bless them, pray for them. Kathy and I, as we were raising our two sons, made a point, it was led by Kathy, she would ever so often give them little gifts that were just incidental things, but just to say, we appreciate you. And then at the end of the school year, not just school teachers, but Sunday school teachers as well, she would say, or I would say to them at the end thank you so much you blessed our sons we love you, you bless our sons we bless you back we've even written notes to different ones because people need encouragement and I think that we need to be that kind of encouragement but second of all then be very aware of what your children are learning this is not a time to tune out this is a time to tune in and help your children come to know how to love other people who think differently who live differently how to love them as Christ would love them but how to also stay true to God's Word and God's moral principles they can do both we need to teach them and train them and do it third we we all need to support and pray for school board members especially those who know and love the Lord We're always in need of excellent leaders. We need to know who our school board leaders are. We need to know what they believe. We need to do more than just voting on a voting day and we don't even know who we're voting for. We need to understand where people are coming from. And by the way, some of you need to run for the school board. God's put some burning desire in your heart to be a positive influence. You need to run, be a part of it. If you want to make a positive difference. Speak up, number four, in a respectful way to those in authority when something is being taught to your children that goes against biblical principles. Understand that public school teachers are are not Bible teachers. They used to be, but they're not anymore. So understand that they're not anymore. They can't be. But when something is being taught morally to your children that is just flat wrong, speak out, but speak with kindness. Bring down the emotion. And here's what I would recommend to you. Don't make statements, ask questions, and don't ask mean questions. Ask questions and actually listen to the answers instead of formulating your counterargument. Hear what they have to say. Focus on dealing with issues and not attacking people. Here's the fifth one. We all need to vote. And we need to vote with our eyes open and our ears attuned to what's happening in our culture. And when it comes to school boards, it was never intended to be political. You weren't intended to be a Democrat school board member or a Republican school board member. You were to be neutral and you were to come to only bless the children, not create politics in the school. And I gotta tell you, I heard this last time. People that were running for school board positions that were getting money from outside the state. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. So who is that person beholding to and what's the reason, where are the strings? There's something fundamentally wrong with that. So now I'm gonna start checking. Who, where are you getting your money? What do you think about Biblical morals? I'm gonna start asking those questions, and I encourage you to do the same. When Daniel was a teenager, the goal was to turn him away from his parents' teaching and brainwash him into the culture of the Babylonians, and that hasn't stopped. We have to be careful for our children in this culture. So how did he overcome that? How did Daniel come to that? Well, there's three things that must happen. First of all, you must choose to put God first. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved, resolved to not defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked that the chief official for permission not to defile him this way. That's odd for us. What, what do you mean, food and drink? What, what, what's the issue? Because in that day, the Jewish religion had the very strict laws of what you can eat and drink, and it was deeply tied to the religion. Well, the Babylonians had the same, and it was tied to their religion, and what they were trying to do is switch them over, so they were tying to the Babylonian religion. We don't do that, that's not what we do now. I mean, I could tie okra to the devil, I could do that. I could, But it's hard to tie pizza to God. It's good maybe Snickers bars to God, but I, I, we don't do that. We have other things that we do. Here's the key phrase I want you to get out of the verse, and that is Daniel resolved. The word resolved in the Hebrew means putting strands together. Putting strands together. So yesterday I went to Ace hardware by where I live, and I got three feet. It wasn't a big sale. And then I started unraveling this rope. I've used this illustration before, but it fits so perfectly, I got to do it again. You start unraveling a rope, and it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking because when you get to the strings, they unravel to tiny, tiny, tiny little fibers that might be a fourth of the width of a human hair. It's just tiny, and it takes, for every string it takes, I don't know, I sure didn't count them, 100, 100, 200 little fibers that you then make a string, and then when you put a rope together, it's thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands of these little fibers. You can't see them from where you are, but oh my soul, they're so small. And that is the example he uses in the verse. He resolved to put strings together. He resolved. And I'm telling you, that's how you parent. This is how we disciple our children to know God, to love God. God, every day, day after day after day, we tie a little fiber into their heart to God in some way, in moral character. We teach them honesty, we teach them kindness, we teach them faithfulness and dependability and forgiveness and truth and moral purity. We teach our children one fiber at a time, thinking like every day you wake up, what's the new fiber I'm going to teach my child? today about honesty about character about dependability what am i going what's the fiber i'm going to teach this day you say oh, please i can't do this mark what are you talking about i'm not a bible scholar i don't know all those bible verses i'm not going to have a bible study with my children every day what are you talking about no i'm not saying to do that the bible isn't even saying to do that no what the bible says In Deuteronomy chapter six, verse six to nine, these commandments that I give you today are to be in your heart. So let me stop for a moment and ask you, are those truths about honesty, about dependability, about kindness, about forgiveness, are those truths about godly character and godly morality, are those truths in your heart? These commandments you are to have upon your hearts. This is why we got to be in the Bible. This is why we've got to be serious about a Christian life. Are those truths in your heart? See, if they are in your heart, you can help put them in your children's heart. But you can't put them in your children's heart until they're in your heart. Verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you you're sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is Jewish talk here, Jewish cultural talk that just says wherever you are and whatever you're doing to your children and grandchildren, wherever you are, whatever you're doing as you're walking along, as you're outside playing, as you're playing baseball, as you're doing whatever you're doing. Find ways to build another fiber of honesty into your heart, the heart of your children, and character, and dependability, and kindness, and forgiveness. Show them how and teach them how. Let them see you forgive. Let them see you be kind. See, when they see you do it, they'll mimic you. Let them see you do it. Did you know there's some other ways to do it? You I mean, Kathy and I, when we were raising our sons, Kathy discovered there were Christian um, cartoons and Christian movies, and we got them, and started the kids with them, and just see those. But they, and then they didn't just see Christian movies; they saw Disney movies and that kind of stuff. I, I'm gonna, I'd be a little sharper about that now. But they, they, they're, they saw all that stuff too. But they were also being fed, and we, we even had scripture memory with our kids. There's ways to teach your children along life's path. Little fibers. It's not a silver bullet. It's just little fibers, day after day after day after. But boy, they turn into a rope in their hearts. You know what I'd recommend? There's three, three or four women getting together once a month or whatever for lunch and just talking about what are you learning about parenting and how, what ideas did you come up with about how to build new fibers. Talk to each other because you, you're learning from each other. Guys getting together in small groups, in our connect groups. Have it a time maybe in which we talk about your, your grandparenting, your parenting. How, what are some things you're doing? I want to learn from you. Learn from each other. Not the whole lesson, five minutes. But let us learn from each other about how to build the fibers. That's what I'm talking about. Second of all, pay attention to the hand of God in your situation. Daniel's the guy writing Daniel chapter one, so listen to what he says. And in Daniel one verse two, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Now that's a negative thing. That's a horrible thing, it's a terrible thing. But Daniel was able to see the hand of God in a bad moment. That's pretty amazing. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 9, now God had caused, it was God that caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. What is he doing in chapter one? He is saying, no matter what I'm doing, no matter where I am, even if it's bad stuff, even if it's good stuff, I see God's hand. He was taught by his parents to see the hand of God in whatever you're going through. Now, I'm asking parents and grandparents, Do you do that, do you see the hand of God? It's bad, it's hurtful, it's difficult, but do you see the hand of God? See if you can see the hand of God in the midst of your life and every day, you can communicate that to your children. They'll begin to see life from a whole different perspective because you do seeing God's hand then the last is this know that God will find a way to deliver you. Do you know what when Daniel saw bad things being taught wrong things happening, you know what he did? He was faced with the pressure to compromise but he didn't yield. And you know what else he didn't do? He did not lead a riot against King Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't make signs calling for Ashpenaz's impeachment. He didn't put together a hate campaign. What did he do? Daniel understood that God was in control, so he stopped to consider the king's goal. You read chapter one. He stops to understand the king's goal, and though he doesn't want to accomplish all the king's goal, he can do some of it, and so he develops an alternative plan He approached the one in authority in a kind fashion, not mean, not demanding, not what is wrong with you, I'm so mad at you, in a kind fashion and was willing to trust God with the outcome. Daniel demonstrated incredible maturity. Guess what? He was only one or two years older than he was when he was captured. So what is he now, 14, 15? Look at this guy. How mature he was. I will tell you this, the greatest thing you'll ever accomplish in your life is not your career. The greatest thing you'll accomplish in your life is not your career. It's raising your children and your grandchildren. It will be the greatest accomplishment of your life, and all the other stuff. It was good, I'm glad I got to do it, it was important, I'm happy about it, but the shining star are my children and my grandchildren. And so I don't let anything get in the way of that. Gotta make a living but where I'll shine is in my kids and in my grandkids. Learn how to make little fibers of character every day, every day, every day. And as you do, you'll build a rope of strength in the hearts of your children. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. Oh God, we need you to do what we're talking about today. God, I ask you would move in the hearts of people that are watching online that have never come to know Christ. They're moral, they're good people, they they are religious, but they have never actually received Jesus as Savior. But may this be the day that they cross cross over. They make the decision, God, I want you to be my God. Jesus, I surrender my heart to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life and I nail it down today. I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior today. God, may this be the day of salvation for people that are watching online, people that are listening to my voice on other campuses and may this be a moment that many come to know Christ as Savior and may this be the moment that so many parents and so many grandparents make a new fresh commitment in their life to every day that they are with these children to make little strands, little strands, little strands, little strands of honesty, of character, of loving Jesus, of being kind. God, cause us to live with purpose in every step. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.